left of this millennium. Tomorrow's the first of December. And in the whole uh, 20th century is, uh, is a memory. Like the 19th century, we don't even remember it, but we have uh, perceptions of it. Of it. And then the next millennium is the future. That's uh, a thousand years from now. Wonder whether this temple will still be here or not. It's built for a thousand years. <laughs> the architect. And then you read about archaeological findings and they discovered that they, there were settlers in North America, in the Americas, uh, dating back 18,000 years ago. And they probably uh, sailed from, from, from the European continent around from Spain or well, it wasn't Spain then, but in that area, on, in boats made out of animal skins. And uh, they had tools, and they were seafaring people 18,000 years ago. It makes you see how ephemeral and, and uh, the kind of solidity of life that we tend to how we tend to perceive it is very that that even our, what we consider modern civilization is just uh, hardly amounts to anything in time. So we have memory, and these memories are uh, we we get very attached to. We we depend on these memories as being reality for us. They're like our whole past is just a memory in the present, and yet we we can we, we depend very much on the, the sense of our self as being a person that was born and has reached this age through being able to remember. People that lose their memories is sort of frightening, isn't it? Not have a memory and uh, have no past. No history, 
by just the present moment. Uh, when we, we see our emotional world is very much uh, uh, created around uh, the sense of ourself as a continuous ongoing person. And when we present ourselves and we have to have a name and, a, and some kind of qualification, some kind of position, something that gives us a, a sense of continuity. And then oftentimes this goes like with people with Alzheimer's and uh, Alzheimer's disease where they, they lose their memory can't remember anything and uh, get confused because even the the, the most uh, the, the nearest and closest they can't even remember so you can remember memory is a function of the mind isn't it it's something that that uh, we get very attached to and very dependent upon our memories And the future is uh, is for us uh, very important to to plan to to look forward to the future, giving great importance to success or some kind of attainment in the future. Uh, even with meditation, isn't it? We meditate sometimes. Some of some of us start our meditations with the idea of attaining something in the future. You know, doing the hard work now and uh, hoping to, through, the, through real intense meditation and hard work, it'll pay off and we'll get enlightened in the future. And so that, that's the, that's the, the sanya kanda, sanya sankara kanda is operating in which we we grasp those and and tend to believe in that as reality. So then the Buddha said use the awakening of the mind rather than a conditioning of the mind, rather than creating more perceptions and doctrines and ideas and ideals uh, in positions that we were supposed to grasp and identify with, and the actual Buddhist teaching amounts to awakening, the wake-up practice, which isn't doesn't depend on mem memory, isn't it? It's not like like uh, oh, it's uh, a memory. We don't remember when we were awake. But awakeness is now, isn't it? It's, it's uh, something you do now by paying attention, by listening, by alertness, by attention. This is uh, so the, the present, but even perceiving the present as the present, we'll let go of that. So the, 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 
where even the the perception of the present is still a perception. So we're getting beyond the perception to the actual real reality of the of now through this attentiveness. And learning to trust in that and learning to relax with it, trust in it, is uh, maybe might take a lifetime because uh, it's the, the power of conditioning and the, and the karma of our lives tend to propel us in all other kinds of directions. We can, we can see the future is terribly important so we've got to put aside awakening in the present to preparing ourselves for something in the future or uh, maybe we'll put off meditation till we get older uh, when we when we no longer when we kind of lived our lives and we don't have anything else to do <laughs> or um, maybe we, we should there's a lot more we should experience with that through delusion that wouldn't be the same if you were enlightened <laughs> so there's a lot more you know, out there tempting opportunities uh, to be deluded that maybe you haven't experienced yet and that might be you're not ready to be enlightened yet because uh, it might <laughs> might take the, the glamour off the off ignorance These are just reflections on <laughs> because the, the but when you when you contemplate the present, uh, it's all there ever is. And getting into into, into trusting in that is is uh, takes a determination. I know from, from just my own practice how uh, even though that insight has been I've had for many years uh, it's still easy it's still quite easy to get convinced of the, the, the delusions of reality mm. so it, it uh, it's really this, this, to, to trust because uh, sometimes when I think of myself on a personal level I tend I, I easily get into doubting um, through my personality and my uh, ha- habitual patterns uh, thinking about myself as a person it, it takes me into doubt usually uncertainty feeling of of um, of, of reticence to to trust to to really to a fear of kind of overestimation or or a kind of uh, timidity and a, and a resistance so then this uh, simple imminent act of awakening is doesn't, doesn't seem like much when you try to describe it what does it was the matter awakenness 
and uh, attention, alertness. And, and then we think, well, what are we supposed to do then with that? And uh, then we, we try to, we start thinking about it rather than trusting in it. We want to kind of pin down or freeze the, the uh, reality into kind of fixed perceptions, you know, so that it's, that, that because we tend to want to have it figured out proof. We want to prove it before we experience it. We want the proof there before we actually have the realization. It's like all the, 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 the questions about the, does God exist, doesn't it? We want proof before we're willing to trust. So when we're looking for proof uh, of that, then it's always, uh, we're always you know, ending up with the same in the same place because the proof is in the actual awakened state rather than in any description or or confirmation of it. So the proof uh, is that you are that proof yourself. You know, nothing. You can't. Don't depend on me to, to, to prove it to you, or to even convince you. But to practice it. So in in practice, like bhakti bhata, this word bariyati bhati 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 waiting in the Pali uh, scripture, bariyati is a, is a kind of theory. Bhati bhati the practice, bhati waiting the result. So the theory. We've got the theory, we've got the teaching, Four Noble Truths and the, like here in monastic convention, we've got all the kind of bariati right here. The, the convention itself, the Dhamma Vinaya, the scripture, the tradition, and then, then that, that takes the bhati bhati, the practice, put it into practice, and then the practice is bhati-veti, and the result of that practice is the, the reality, the insight. If we don't, if we just depend on bhariyati, then of course it's like, you know, one well, that can inspire, that can encourage, uh, it can interest us because it's something coming from outside. We can, you know, read the, the suttas and the Abhidhamma and the, all the rest of the inspired books of Buddhism or religious teachers and we, uh, and that, that kind of inspiration is is something that uh, kind of lifts us up, gets us going. 
gives us some kind of direction. Mm. And then that bhakti 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 is uh, to practice it so that you're getting beyond just the insp- need for inspiration of just uh, depending upon feelings of uh, of inspired teachings and inspired examples and and uh, affirmations and uh, interest in in scriptural readings in uh, people's uh, testimonials and the inspiring examples of various uh, people who practice into the, the practice oneself. This leads us of course into the present moment. Brings us right into the present which may not be inspiring at all, might be the opposite, might be totally depressing. And then it's the, how you're feeling right now and uh, how you what you're thinking or physically or emotionally might be. It might be real, you might be sick, in pain, depressed, uh, your world falling apart. And so that, that's not, then you might want to look for inspiration again because you can't face it. You think, oh, this is, this is more I can bear. So, in, but in, in practice then, in bhati bhati, we're uh, willing to experience suffering. Like the first noble truth is there is suffering. Uh, you should understand suffering. Suffering has been understood. So you've got this pattern, again, in the, just the first noble truth, the three aspects. There's a bariyati, is a, there is the statement, isn't it? There is suffering. Bhati Bhati tells you what to do about it, understand suffering. Bhati Vaiti is the result, the realization of having understood suffering. So this is pointing to, to the, this process. Putting it into practice, then is, is instead of seeing it in terms of the theory and the ideas that you get out of the scriptures or the Buddhist books on Buddhist meditation, you're looking at the reality of the moment, which is the way it is. Whatever you're feeling, thinking now, whatever it, uh, in, in any of its forms, from heaven to hell to neutral, And to do that, it's an attentive state, isn't it? Paying attention. Because it's not, you know, when, when, you, when, you, when you're not paying attention, then you, you just react. If you're feeling down, life is hopeless, you're depressed, then you, if you're not attention, paying attention to that feeling, to that mood, then you, you're just reacting to it. Either you're trying to dismiss it or deny it or or uh, just endlessly kind of uh, blame yourself or others for the misery that you're experiencing. But in that intuitive awareness, awakenness in the present, you can you begin to 
to observe miseries like this, depression, pain, failure, doubt, despair, worry is like this. So in that way you're understanding it. You're, you're, this understanding is like embracing the moment you're, rather than trying to uh, get rid of it. And that, of course, takes a measure of, of this trust, a refuge, we call it the refuge in Buddha Dhamma Sangha, or trusting in the simple imminent act of awakened awareness. Which doesn't seem like anything compared to maybe the severity of misery you might be feeling in the present. So it does, uh, to, to bear with that doesn't mean to just, you know, quit your teeth and kind of put up with it, but it means a, a total acceptance of it for what it is. So sometimes we think, well, there's pain, but I'll just put up with it. But I've heard you've got to develop patient endurance, so I'm feeling miserable right now, so I'll just bear it. And, you, and you're sitting there, sitting here with, the, you know, just trying to make yourself grin and bear it kind of feeling. But you're not really aware that, 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 that you're, what you're doing, you're just doing something, reacting to it according to some idea you have a practice. Now, I, I used to think of patient endurance as just, you know, you've got to put up with misery, so you just do it as an act of will. And uh, then it, and you know, you just, uh, after a while, if you do that and you don't break through it, you don't see, see through that, then after you can only do that so long and you don't want to do it anymore. You get so you just want to avoid it, any situation that causes so much misery. You just want to, you know, give up meditation, disrobe, get away from it all, go on a holiday. Have a drink. Yeah, the, you're, they're grasping the idea, isn't it? Of, of I've got to learn to be patient and endure. I've got to endure pain. Is the is the ascetic practice, isn't it? Atakilamatanu yoko, the kind of you know self torture, self flagellation, where you think that by by really beating yourself up, you're going to develop some kind of endurance. So the middle way, the Machimabhatipata, is neither uh, indulgence, you know, just to seek comfort, happiness, as an in itself, or uh, the way of pain and deprivation, asceticism, but the Buddha point to the awakened, awakenness. So in, the, in this teaching on the Four Noble Truths, you know, the, the First Noble Truths, 
there is suffering, suffering should be understood. That's a prescription for the illness. Take the, take the medicine and then what is the result? You can only know the result by, by, by your own awareness, through your own awareness. You can, nobody can t- tell you whether, the, whether the, what the result is. It's, a, it's an intuitive realization. Suffering has been understood. It's not like having defined it and gotten every and then researched every Buddhist uh, scripture to find out what so and so said about suffering back in in China in a thousand years ago. <laughs> I'm going to every teacher around to find out how they define suffering and and uh, get their advice, even though their advice might be very good. And the Chinese sages a thousand years ago might be very wise. That's not the point, is it? It's it's the it's you you learning to trust in the simple imminent act of awareness and taking it from there. Doubt, of course, is is one of the the great uh, delusions of the mind. The, the doubting tendency we we think and we doubt, and uh, like the more you think about yourself, the more you'll end up doubting. Like if, if you try to think about being aware, it, 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 uh, you can just, uh, you know, end up doubting. You say, how can I be aware? And then, then you, you try to, you could kind of go into elaborate kind of, uh, expositions on awareness and mindfulness and all that. And still, doubt. Because it's it's not it's not a thought, is it? It's a it's an what we call an imminent act. It's unseen. Nobody knows but you. So trying to understand everything through thinking about it just takes you into you know you 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 tend to depend on memory and ideas and imagination as your refuges. And these are all very ephemeral. They don't trust, really. Then we think, well, we've got to get proof that this works. You know, various teachers, various monks or nuns, you want to say, what, how far have you gotten so far? You've been a monk for so many years. <laughs> and uh, was Ajahn Chah enlightened? And, and are there any enlightened monks in Thailand or Sri Lanka or anything like that? You know, we want to see living proof of it. 
So that is what that's coming from from thinking and from doubt and wanting proof. Wanting the proofs from outside the external things to prove it to us rather than trusting ourselves to prove it. I used to have a kind of koan years ago. I used to, I've told something about, about what if, what if all my great monks uh, disrobed and told me Buddhism was totally false religion uh, based on ignorance and, and only made you stupid. So Dalai Lama, uh, Ajahn Chah, Buddha Dasa, Ajahn Mahabhua, What if I did that? What if I just roamed that? Oh, it's always, I'm going to become a born-again Christian. It's only through Jesus that you can be saved. Then what would you do? No, so then you, you, this is, this, I used to ask myself this question because to see how, just to, just to contemplate is my, is my monastic life or my practice based on just uh, a, a kind of trust in in the externals, in the in the teacher or in the sangha, the monastic sangha or the tradition, or or having these great people kind of affirming that this is the right way, or do I can I know this directly for myself? And I know this in a direct way, rather, so it doesn't matter what anyone else does or says about it. Because that's, that's where, that's the, the kind of, of uh, I mean, otherwise, you know, it, it's all very dodgy, isn't it? Depending on external things to support you endlessly, you know, to encourage, to nurture, to affirm, to confirm, to prove to you, to convince you, to be living examples that never let you down. So this is, you know, this is the the. The self-view is based on these kind of demands and assumptions and expectations and where the conventional becomes our reality, where our, our attention is, is outward toward the convention itself, towards the, the, uh, the external things, the icons, the, the, uh, the people involved, the people we're living with the people that we put our trust in, that we look up to. But all these things are conditions that change and are ephemeral or eventually let you down in some way. That's their nature, conventional 
of the conven- world of conventions is ephemeral and changing. So it's not 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 meant to be something that you get dependent on you know, permanently because you know, all that is mine, beloved and pleasing, will become otherwise, will become separated from me. So what you can really trust then is in this imminent act of awareness. What is the only thing I trust? Because that is that is available every moment, every every moment of the day and night. No matter what's happening, no matter what state, physically or mentally, uh, I'm experiencing. trust that, of course, is uh, because of the, 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 the power of, of the uh, conditioned realm, identity with the conditioned realm is so strong at first that it, it does, uh, th- it seems almost impossible at, in the beginning because when we when we even talk like this, we can grasp what I, you can grasp what I'm saying. And say, Ajahn Sumedho said, the imminent act of the present, pay attention, and you grasp that idea, rather than actually trusting a kind of relaxed attention in the present. No matter if it it doesn't last very long, it's just a brief moment, at least. For that moment, there's no delusion. But as you begin to trust that more and more, because it's it's a natural a natural state that we are not creating, and not not you creating it. You're not creating the present, uh, creating mindfulness, but you're actually mindful. Being mindfulness, being aware. And it's not dependent on, on a still, quiet place, is it? It's just, uh, as I've said many times, you, you develop this in the middle of London or traffic jam or committee meetings or whatever you 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 know it's something to that you can use you develop and, and keep cultivating in even the most uh, uh, ordinary and mundane and seemingly uh, kind of uninspired situations as when working or putting on your clothes or walking from this place to that place. So in, in, say, 
this mindfulness, you get it's begin. You get what you call connected mindfulness. It begins. You begin to. It's sustainable. And if you take this, the, the, what I call the practice of listening, like to the sound of silence, you, as you begin to recognize that, it's, you can sustain it for a little while. Where the, just even if it's not very long, at least that's, you know, the, the, uh, you're cultivating, developing it. And then it goes, the, the mind will wander away and you, you will, uh, get, uh, you know, start, you'll feel various impulses and things will start coming into consciousness and you get intimidated by them. But more and more as you keep trusting in this, then you'll be less intimidated, more understanding of what's coming up. So, because as you kind of open the, open up to life, as you, as you open to it and, and embrace the moment, then, uh, your, your need to control falls away. When you lose control in what happens, then sometimes the uh, fears and desires and, and, uh, memories and, that start coming into consciousness. And then you might think that you're doing something wrong, because uh, we might think meditation should lead us to a state of peaceful bliss, rather than to uh, a state of fear and anxiety and despair. But our relationship now to these these dark things are, is, is not one of, of criticism or personal attachment or identity, but recognition. You're understanding it, meaning you're accepting it for what it is. And so then you can let it go. And you can only let go of something if you totally accept it. So in this, in this way, you, you know, the, the repressed side of your emotional life and experience is, uh, is something to, to embrace, to, to regard in terms of what it really is. It is what it is in the present. It's impermanent. Any relationship to it is not seeing it as my problem or my anger or my despair, but totally accepting it as an as a energetic experience. And then you, what happens to it? And then you have the bhakti, bhakti-vaiti. But you wait where you, you, the result of having understood something, you let it go. There's a natural insight, letting go, 
and it, and then it's cessation because once you let something go, it, its nature is to cease, and then, then you have the result of that kind of practice or bhati bhati. This is through this uh, direct knowing, this, this witnessing, observing the way it is that you you liberate you're liberated from the from the habits, from the fears, the desires. Doesn't mean you don't have them anymore, but your your relationship to them has changed from ignorance to one of wisdom. And so that that when it's like like the clouds in the sky or the weather here in England, isn't it? <clears throat> what passes over us, and whether we like it or not, it is what it is. If I stand outside and dark cloud comes over and I start throwing a tantrum and saying, I don't want any dark clouds. You know, you think he's a fool. He wants the impossible. He wants to control the weather. He only wants the kind of weather that he likes. But if you look at, you know, through living here, you take what you get. And you, 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 whether you like it or not is not the, the issue. It's the way it is. And the thing with your emotional world, whether it's uh, pleasant, unpleasant, inspiring, depressed, boring, whatever, it is what it is. And it changes. It's not, it's not permanent. So, we, 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 rather than, than trying to control the, the weather or the emotions, we're, we're accepting the weather for the way it is, or the emotions the way they are. And then we, we, uh, experience the, the, whatever quality it is, but we're not reacting to it out of ignorance out of not wanting it, out of wanting something, or wanting to hold on, if the, like the, when, the, when it turns sunny, then we have a desire to hold on to it. I want sunshine all the time like this, and then we can't even enjoy the sunshine, because we, we're already creating suffering about the, the, the fear of it getting cold and wet again. So, as we see and understand the suffering that we create, then we, we stop doing that. So then this relaxed attention, there's a sense of being content and at peace with the world that we're living in, with the bodies that we have, with the character, personal tendencies that we have. Contentment doesn't mean approval or liking, but it means that basically we're, we're resting in a place that we trust, so we can bear with the ups and downs, 
that we have to, that we'll experience, that will come to our consciousness. And then this contentment is, is a, a peacefulness that is transcending, is not, no longer dependent on things being peaceful and what we like, but on our, on the wisdom of understanding. So then also we, we begin to recognize a, 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 what love really is. And the tea time we're talking about this. Because sometimes it sounds like we're, like this kind of cold surgery approach where you just witness kind of cold-heartedly uh, your emotions and, and kind of see them in terms of nicha dukkanata. Uh, which can seem rather cold and and uh, clinical, but the what I found is in the, the emptiness of the mind, or in the state of the of this awareness, then the relationship to the conditioned realm is one of love, which means doesn't mean liking, but it means accepting they're like in the metta practice isn't it we practice we spread metta to everything to every creature every possible creature in the in the universe devils angels and so forth because in that metta real metta comes from that awareness and it, it, it embraces life rather than than uh, divides it. it it's a unity love is a is is unity is unitive it it isn't divisive so you're actually using love as a means through mindfulness Because this love is not, it's not like, not like being uh, in love, but it's, it's accepting and it's patient. It's non-critical. It's willing to accept everything for what it is. It's not making deals. It's not conditional by saying, I'll love you if you change your ways and start acting in a way that I can respect and that I can accept. That's conditioned love, isn't it? I love you when you're good, then you do what I want. But when you're stubborn and rebellious and you don't do what I like, I don't love you anymore. That's conditioned love. So that's more, that's liking, isn't it? That's what you like. Uh, you like somebody when, when they, when Unconditional liking. 
or disliking. So just moving the word love up a lot from from the uh, from taken out of the context of liking. Well, romantic love is based on liking, but usually it 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 it's based on getting along, on on sharing a, a kind of uh, romantic images together that, you know, can easily fall apart when, uh, through time, through experience. But unconditioned love, then, is, is, uh, doesn't have any, it doesn't, isn't dependent on conditions, being likable, but it's what operates, what is natural to our state through awareness, through awakened attention to life. Because out of this awareness doesn't come hatred and wanting to to annihilate or get rid of anything. And it accepts everything, knows everything for what it is. So acceptance doesn't mean approving of anything. It doesn't mean we approve of the way it is. It means that we accept even what what is bad, we accept it at this moment the way it is, meaning we, which is what, what metta is all about. So, this evening is the uh, observance night, invited to practice till midnight, or the whole night or forever <laughs>